This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Katie Henriksen, and this is my podcast, Sound Off, featuring conversations with people making music challenging the status quo. I'm really thrilled to share my conversation with Natalie Joachim today. She's a Juilliard-trained flutist from the age of 10, as well as half of the flute and electronics duo Flutronics, and the composer, singer, and instrumentalist of the Grammy-nominated album Bon Daiti, featuring the Spectral Quartet. It's an album described by WNYC's New Sounds host, John Schaefer, as kind of a chamber folk electronic celebration of the voices of Haiti. I can't wait to share our conversation and some of her music with you, which we'll do right after this quick break. Laffy Taffy. They have a funny joke on every rapper, and I love how fruity they are. Banana's my favorite. Want one? Sure. Mmm, so smooth and creamy. I like to eat them after school and after dinner and after- Whenever you need a good LOL? Yeah! So, here's the joke. What do clouds wear under their shorts? Thunderpants. That is good. <laughs> <laughs> Laffy Taffy. Deliciously funny. Head to LaffyTaffy.com to shop now. With Kizik Can's free shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Joachim began the project in 2015, shortly after her maternal grandmother died. As she explains it, she and I spent many a cherished moment underneath the mango and coconut trees in her yard in Haiti, and in my childhood home in America, singing songs with one another. It was our way of telling each other stories, and her way of passing on a centuries-long cultural practice of oral history. Our, our thing was always making music. And I think in retrospect, she really was bringing me into a practice of music making and storytelling that's been a big part of Haiti as an oral tradition for hundreds of years. You know, she was not a professional musician. She was a regular granny. I think now I really credit her as being one of my early music teachers because she sort of introduced me to this idea of songwriting, this idea of uh, telling stories through music, and this idea of not being shy to use your your voice. Like I never really felt, as somebody who went through the sort of mo- most like 
as conservatory training trainings as they come. <laughs> Very young age, we're so used to performing music and practicing music and learning music to a point of perfection that sort of strips away this idea of innovation or a sort of sense of self in the music very early on. It's about sort of executing in this very specific way. And with my grandmother, it was a, it was like had nothing to do. It never occurred to me that like I maybe wasn't a good enough singer or that I maybe hadn't sung a phrase well enough or maybe wrote something that wasn't worth anyone hearing again. She just encouraged me. And that kind of encouragement, I think, has come back to me in a very strong way later later in life and, and in performance and, and sort of finding the joy of making music with other people. That really shaped you as a composer and as a musician. That was like one place I could go. I was was allowed to go. My mom, you know, it's like you're on the Upper West Side. You're 10 years old. My mom was like, you can go. You can go to the Tower Records. Juilliard is is as much credited, and my my grandmother is much credited for my music education as that Tower Records. Those listening stations. That was like pre-Spotify being like, hey, we you've listened, you know, our algorithm tells you you'll like this. We used to be making each other mixtapes off the radio. There wasn't a, a playlist suggestion. It just didn't exist, except that those listening stations and record stores were like, that's the playlist suggestion. And they would change, you know, weekly or biweekly. And I would spend hours in there. That's where you would find me usually. If I wasn't in a practice room, that's what, what I was doing. I had a deep, deep love, especially like being a kid in New York in in, in the 90s, there was just like all of this amazing electronic music happening, amazing electronic music coming over from the UK into New York. And I was I was obsessed. It was also just like the beginning of like Bjork and Radiohead. 
I was obsessed, obsessed with electronic music. And for sure, you know, any, anybody who asked me like, oh, how did, how did you decide to like do flutronics? I'm like, yeah, it just like makes complete sense because all I was doing as a child was like listening to tons of electronic music and also playing my flute. A huge drum and bass fan, Ronnie Size is just like one of my, my favorites of, of the time. And but also listening to a ton of like Underworld, Aphex Twin, Bjork, like I said. So those are sort of like the staples. And on top of that, just like the amazing hip hop that was like coming out of New York at that time too, which, you know, involved a, a ton of sampling. I think that my current style is like so reflective of, of what I was listening to at, at that time. You mentioned this very rigid conservatory training at Juilliard. I'm wondering, you know, how you found your own distinct voice that you have now through Flutronics and through creating this exquisite album that weaves so many disparate sounds together. I had crossed the finish line and graduated, but I was feeling really disillusioned because I also just, there wasn't an answer. There wasn't a blueprint for the type of career that I didn't even know what my, you know, there's no way I could have predicted at all, like what the career that I have today, but I, there wasn't a blueprint for anything very different. Our All of our teachers, you know, these master teachers that we had, had just garnered careers in a very different way than any of us would. You have to think about this, like the early 2000s, the music industry is changing rapidly at this time. You have like record stores totally disappearing. The recording industry itself is like completely turned on its head with things like Napster, you know, like everything was just like, the music industry was going through it. We were having a moment, not that we're not going through it now, but um, you know, we were having a moment and it was, you saw very distinctly the the gap of reality between like my my teachers who were deeply supportive of, of my creativity and of my talent, but had no idea how to help me do something different. They could only teach me what they knew. I was, supposed to go to Paris Conservatory for grad school and I ended up which was like a a coup anyway in and of itself like everybody was like what are you doing and I decided that I was going to just go for it and I moved to Paris and I withdrew from school before ever attending so I then just spent a year living in you know kind of like a vagabond in Paris um and but it in many ways it was that to me was a huge turning point in my career it, it was a year that was spent reclaiming my love for music you know sort of finding my spirit in it I don't have a great love love story with how I came to play music but I will say that it's the only thing that I've ever loved and it's never ever occurred to me to do anything else. I was not a kid that had to like make a choice between music and something else or wasn't sure that I wanted to go into music. It never, it has never crossed my mind to do anything else. It just like has never, not one time in in, in all of my nearly 37 years has it ever occurred to me to, to do anything else because it's the one thing that I've always truly, truly loved. So 
that year in Paris, I sort of just gave myself the objective of playing as much music as possible, even if that meant feeling uncomfortable doing that, you know, like even if it was genres I had knew nothing about, had never played, could not in- improvise, had never been asked to improvise, like, you know, I just did it. I just threw myself into the, in, to the deep end and made music in any way that anyone would sort of invite me to make music. I listened to as much music as possible and I engaged with as many musicians and artists as I possibly could. It was my own school and that was the homework. <laughs> and I did that every single day. I also, you know, started to really explore my own voice as a composer during that year. That was the first year that I really did that. And in some ways it was about like leaving this conservatory identity behind and being able to be in a new space where no one had an expectation of me because nobody knew me. So uh, I felt perfectly comfortable being like, yeah, I, I can make arrangements, I can compose, I can, you know, and, and without anybody sort of looking at me like, aren't you, aren't you a flutist? I saw you, I thought I saw you at the flute concert. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, and, and it was a wild choice, you know, it was also, it was also the first time in my life that I have made a palpably made a decision that every other person in my life that was, you know, a a mentor or parent or, you know, any kind of sort of figure that's meant to care and look after you was like, this is a mistake. You're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. You just need to go to school. You just need to play the flute. This is like, stay on this track. You're a really good flutist. This is what you need to do. And I heard them and I felt them, but I've never felt more relieved than to make the decision to just take a break and stand still with with this music for a minute and see how it made me feel and what direction it pointed me in. And I don't I don't advise students. I'm I'm an educator myself. I don't advise students to make this choice, but I will say there is something about the moment in your adult life when you lock into that that in, intuition, like the the moment that you lock into the sense that you've made a decision that you feel deeply at peace with, that feels like totally correct in your mind and in your body and in your heart and even though all signs point to something else. And to me, that that sense of intuition is a little bit about getting, you know, growing up and understanding who you are, which can feel scary and, and ungrounded <laughs> at times, but uh, was, a, was a huge lesson to look. That same feeling has um, come in quite handy many times in my professional life in, in making some really challenging decisions that always, always turned out to be the right thing to do.
Merci, mon Dieu, merci. I'd love to know a little more about the process of delving deeply into the rich voices in the woman of Haiti. Maybe you have some stories. I, I didn't know any of these women or any of their music actually prior to creating this work. Process was a, a process of discovery for me. So really it was being in Haiti after, for the first time ever after my grandmother had passed and sort of contemplating what it means to lose a voice, you know, that was just so present in my life. My grandmother's voice being sort of a big part of the soundtrack of my life, not just her song, but her, her speaking voice, her laugh, you know, the, the way that she took time between phrases. And I miss having that voice in, in my life. And so I was in Haiti uh, shortly after she had passed. And I just got to, it, it made me think of, you know, the absence of her voice was really deafening at, at that time. It was, you know, the first time that I'd really been there where she was not a really central part of my visit, you know, like that, that singing songs with her was really not going to happen, that her voice was not one that I was going to hear as the day was going by. But, you know, it also amplified all of the other women's voices that you hear in the countryside. It's just like a part of our culture. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of who we express, how we express ourselves. And you hear that so deeply and, and actively when you're just doing just that listening on the countryside, you hear lots of women's voices. And that long train of thought over several days sort of led me to this question of like, why don't I know about more women's voices <laughs> in Hades beyond my grandmother's, you know? And the popular music scene in Hades pretty deeply male-dominated. At the time, I could only think of one Haitian female artist that everybody knew that was, like, you know, very popular. When I don't know things, I'm always like, that's just because I don't know them. That doesn't mean that they don't exist. <laughs> so I pretty immediately had a conversation that evening with my parents about, you know, maybe they know Haitian artists that I should, female artists that I should be listening to. And even amongst the two of them, you know, I still, have, I always tell everyone I still have, it's on my music stand right now, actually. I still have the handwritten list of the artists that we came up with that night that they were like, oh, here's a list of people that you should check out. And I started to look into this music, started to look into the artists. It was very hard at the time to find a lot of information on many of them. I, again, we're talking about a musical practice that has largely been an oral tradition for hundreds of years. We're also talking about a country which is not like steeped, steeped in the internet the, the way that America or some other countries are. So it was, it, you know, there was just like this barrier of, so especially not just the music, but our history, you know, Haitian history is one that's been deeply passed down for the most part 
by 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 word, by voice, by by the telling of story. That's that's really where this practice comes from. It's about a preservation of history in in, in many ways. And so it was hard to find on the internet. It was really hard to find a lot of information uh, about any of them. But what I could find, were, you know, each each of them sort of left me a very interesting thread or seed to, to follow, you know, a trail of crumbs to follow, if you will. So it was really, I was curious because I, I saw bits of information that taught me about their music, but also about who they were as people. And that was just as interesting as the beautiful music that I found. Papa loco, se va? Pousen aller, nous c'est papillon à nouvelle baille Papa loco, se va?
woman there is something that make you part of me or me part of you it's something at the time I was really performing there was no different uh, the men was the world but in Haiti they did start earlier in this country before the United States I spent 65 years in the United States and I bring my heart with me and I said, time for me to go and help Haiti. The album came together in a pretty organic fashion. It was definitely my first research-based project. And it was also the first time that I've ever spent quite so long working on a piece of music where for a very long time, all I was doing was listening and not writing. That intensity of listening, that practice of, of deep listening and collecting oral history and engaging in conversation with other people and going into sonic environments and really taking them in for what they were, but also taking in people's stories for their, their wonderful and tremendous value without really having a clear idea of what the end result needed to be. 
I think it left me open to so many possibilities. And I think that that's actually what I attribute this sort of organic sense of the album to that I so much of it was about me listening and re-listening and re-listening and understanding what the voices how they desired to be set how they the kind of environment that they needed to live in and that was a huge help it's really changed my practice in many ways uh, bringing more listening into my work as a composer that's my special guest natalie joachem whose genre-defying album Vaughn Dati was nominated for Grammy in the World Music category last year. She's also one half of the flute and electronics duo Flutronics, which she founded with Allison Loggins Hull. Now, if you'd like to find out more about how the two met and became fast friends as well as collaborators, head on over to my Substack newsletter. That's at soundoff.substack.com. Joachim describes it as the most romantic love story I have. You can learn about the new projects they have in the works as well. I'm Katie Henriksen. You've been listening to my podcast, Sound Off, which explores creativity at the intersection of art, music, and literature, and digs into what that work and the people making it tell us about art and life in the 21st century. Sound Off is produced solely by me, for the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. You can support Sound Off by smashing that subscribe button and leaving a rating at wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I hope you continue resonating with that great force of music. <laughs>